0: Stampede! Garner isn't number twenty.
1: Tant d'amour, tant d'amour, tant d'amour.
0: What happened is a common refrain when people desperately ask for answers, and usually experts are pushed forward, giving explanations. Often it's when something has gone wrong, a building or a bridge collapsed, a car with a woman and her children ending in a lake, drowned. Oil seeping onto beaches, birds falling dead from the sky, mysterious illnesses breaking out. We expect the experts should have answers and we want to know what happened and even more importantly, why? But often, the answers are sidestepped with people saying We don't know yet. We're still investigating. Now, with mind-jarring events occurring at a rapid pace, it seems nothing is ever resolved, and people file it away, eventually forgetting it occurred. Things just keep piling up, and it's nearly impossible to keep track of what's happening you end up going to sleep one night only to wake up in the morning to hear about something new with a refrain, we're getting information. And by the evening, after you've brushed your teeth and curled up to sleep again, you hear the facts are under investigation. No wonder most people are having nightmares. And sleep deprivation is rising because there's a whole lot of crazy going on. It's said if we don't get enough sleep we will go crazy and that's no lie. It's a vicious circle. You know, I've told you people I've been going to a mental therapist and let me emphasize it's not because I have emotional problems. The facts are I don't want to discuss what troubles me with an expert so I can adequately cope when interacting with the outside world. No, I don't go to my mental therapist to help me. I bring my computer to her office, and for the first 30 minutes, I turn on one of my podcast shows, the same shows you're listening to. Garner isn't. I rarely talk about my personal life to my therapist, and I'll tell you why. I'm a very observant individual, and I've noticed that my therapist may have some very deep-seated issues. I'm not only very observant, I'm also very compassionate. guerra example, if I notice someone is troubled, I make an effort to help. You know, like I'm in a supermarket and I watch someone talking to him or herself. Now, I've been known to go up to that person and say, are you all right? Oftentimes, the individual will smile and say, I'm fine. Why do you ask? And I'll reply, well, I couldn't help noticing you were talking to yourself out loud. And they often reply, prices have risen so fast, I can't decide to buy real butter or margarine. And I say, oh, I'm sorry for interrupting and walk away. Sometimes those encounters don't end up nicely when confronting some people talking to themselves, they may reply, Screw you, mind your own business. And maybe they're right. Maybe I've overstepped and should mind my own business. But as I said, I'm compassionate and I feel the need to help. So after I play my podcast shows to my therapist, I have about 15 minutes and I invariably want to get a better understanding of who she is. I believe she may have issues. You could say it's a role reversal. She's not treating me, I'm treating her. Well, recently after playing one of my podcasts, I looked at Red, I call her Red because She has fading red hair and said, you know, Red, a lot of people in your profession enter into it because they take some psychology courses in college. They do so because they believe they can get a better understanding of what's troubling them. And they eventually end up working in your profession. And she said, What do you mean? Well, is this a little like the blind leading the blind? And she said, What do you mean? Well, are you familiar with the 16th century Dutch painter Peter Bruegel? Not really. Well, Google Peter Bruegel's painting, The Blind Leading the Blind. And she turned to her computer and accessed Bruegel's masterpiece painting. What about it? It's beautiful, isn't it? Yes, but what are you getting at? If you're suggesting people in my profession are not mentally stable, well, maybe you're right, because you should look at psychiatrists. They're really messed up.
2: I'm so sorry. I'm della Now.
0: This is where I have to interrupt the show and tell you people about the long-standing professional animosity that exists between the ranks of the practitioners in treating people with mental problems. I have to bring back what I said earlier in the show, what with people saying, we're still investigating, we haven't got all the facts yet, this is something commonly referred to when talking about mental illness. We're investigating, and we haven't come to a conclusion yet. There's real jealousy among the professionals bringing mental stability to their patients. The behavioral analysts say their patients should be treated in a certain way. The psychiatrists say they should be treated in another The psychologists believe in something else. The therapists, social workers, and even members of the clergy all feel they know what's best to cure what ails people that can't cope. And even among themselves, there's infighting as to which theory should be used in caring for their patients. A psychiatrist can say, he's a Freudian, and another can say, he follows Carl Jung's approach. The truth of the matter is, the talking cure has lots of different ways of helping people. So, getting back to Red, my mental therapist, when I suggested that many people in her profession have real mental problems, that they entered into the talking cure trade, because they want to find out what's wrong with themselves. She said, Well, everybody is a little crazy. Now, that's a theory I can subscribe to. There's something in us that says we've all got something a little screwy going on upstairs. And I'll go a step further, saying flat out, We're becoming unhinged. As a society, we may actually be crazy. And I believe there are a lot of reasons to support that. And maybe it's even bigger than that. Maybe our species, that is the human species, is going nuts. And I'll say this. Maybe the common squirrel, with its behavior of collecting acorns or various nuts from the ground, is free from the psychotic behavior exhibited by some human beings. Now that I think about it, I can't refute that among the living, we're the only ones producing crazy behavior. Of course, there are those strange events in nature, with animals seemingly committing suicide, of dolphins or whales mysteriously beaching themselves, the long-standing facts that lemmings in mass periodically fling themselves off cliffs into rivers in apparent suicides. Those natural events can be attributed to an imbalance in the equilibrium of habitat, a lack of sustainability for living within their environment, a loss of resources in the struggle to survive. I might say these events must be terrifying experiences for animals in the natural world. A horrific realization. And for humans, seeing that occur can be heartbreaking. We try desperately to rescue beached whales or dolphins from attempting to put an end to their lives. We see that because when all is said and done, They represent something of us. We're connected to them. And in fact, our DNA, the very thing that says who we are, is shared with other living things. And I'll say this about us. We've been creating an environment for ourselves that is dangerous. Not only to ourselves, but to other living things. And in large part, it comes from what we believe is important. Our values have been distorted. And if our values are distorted today, then our future may be even more bizarre. In the future, men may be having sex with robots. And not to sound biased, that reality may also exist for women. The future I talk about is with Garner and his sex robot, Triple G, that the sexual interaction between a human and a machine may seem surreal, a Salvador Dali painting. But when Garner told Triple G about the crisis with the increase with extinction rates of animals in the natural world, she became a strong advocate for animal rights and as a result the environmentalist party voted her to be their presidential candidate. If elected she'd be the first robot as the commander-in-chief for the American people. She's running against the consumerist party. In the future it's the political party that runs the cultural profits the privatization of war, the deprecation of the natural world for financial gain. Triple G is fighting to save the natural world, but the consumerists accuse her of false values, that she was built by the consumerist as a sex robot, and can only be a sex robot not the president representing the environmentalist party. And they've threatened to lobotomize her computer system if she doesn't quit the race for the White House. Garner, I've been invited to give a speech at the Economic Forum on the effects of oil production to the natural world. Yes, that's good, Triple G. I can write you a speech about that. But if I give a speech, the consumerists have threatened me and the environmentalist party with violence. I know. They'll stop at nothing to keep their power. We'll have to be careful. They may attempt to lobotomize you. Now, this is where I have to interrupt the show and tell you listeners. The future may sound very familiar. Because there are parallel events today, events you may not be able to escape from. Triple G is an environmentalist. She's fighting against what the consumerists represent. The consumerists that say progress is a function of profits. In the future, the conflicts will be clear. The consumerists will say they know how to put bread on the table. But the environmentalists will say you can't have bread Without the natural world. Triple G and Garner see global insurrection breaking out everywhere, the unhinging, the degradation of our connection to our natural ancestry. Consumerists will use whatever force necessary to stay in power, even assassination. In the future, Triple G is giving a speech at the Economic Forum on the effects of oil and nature. When an assassin disconnects her computer system, she's lobotomized, collapsing on stage. She's been neutralized, preventing from telling the people about the environmental crisis. But guess what? That's in the future. And I'm telling you now, in the present, you've been neutralized, lobotomized, and disambiguated as well. You'll never see the plague you're living in, the violence that consumerism is bringing you. There won't be any peace for you or for me. This week on Garner Isn't, you first heard the performance of Edith Piaf, Je Danse Avec L'Amour, from her lead role in the 1941 movie Man Matra. Next, you heard two recordings of Enrico Caruso. First, "Finestra Che Lucive, a 1913 recording and then Vucella, a 1919 recording. Caruso was born in Naples in 1873 and eventually recorded exclusively with the Victor Talking Machine Company until his untimely death in 1921 at the age of 48. Next, you heard a cut from Hans Zimmer's music, Seawall, from the movie Blade Runner, and then finally, a repeat of Seawall. Stapede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.